We've spent a lot of time on this podcast tracing how the Sunrise Movement grew very rapidly, almost overnight, from a small group of young people with dreams of reshaping climate politics into a major national organization. And that growth was really impressive in many ways. But Sunrise hasn't yet grown to the scale or power that it aspires to. The climate movement is much more powerful now than it was two years ago, but climate action at the scale of the crisis, aka a Green New Deal, is not yet on the table, and even Biden's climate plan is in doubt because of the resistance of centrist politicians like Joe Manchin and Kristen Sinema. So over the last year, there's been a lot of discussion internally and sometimes spilling into the public sphere about how to reimagine the Sunrise Movement to build the power that's necessary to actually win a Green New Deal. One really well-researched constructive critique comes from an article written by Sam Zacker and Jonathan Guy, published in Jacobin Magazine, titled What the Sunrise Movement Can Do Better. Sam and Jonathan run down what they see as some of the barriers to Sunrise's continued growth and power building. It's an excellent piece, and I highly recommend you read it. We'll link to it in the show notes. Meanwhile, for the last year, a dozen Sunrise activists from across the movement have undertaken an internal process of reimagining the organization, a process they're calling front-loading. Aru Shiniajay, who we met back in the first episode of the Generation Green New Deal podcast. I remember one time after the action on December 10th, I actually got out of jail and like Skyped into my four hour seminar. And I was like, sorry guys. <laughs> has been leading that process. What you're about to hear is a conversation between Aru, John Paul Mejia, who is also a part of the front-loading team, and Sam and Jonathan. This was taped live as part of a Sunrise Zoom call, which we helped put together, and the conversation is hosted by Cecia Lee, who until recently served as training director for Momentum, an organization that helps train and support movement leaders, including the founders of Sunrise. So hope you enjoy this conversation. I'm Sam Eilertson, and this is Generation Green New Deal. Hi, everybody. Super excited to be with you all here tonight um, and with Sam and Jonathan and Aru and JP. Um, I'm Sissia, and I'll be moderating our discussion. Uh, I was the training and research director for Momentum uh, for the last five years, and spent a lot of those years debating really similar questions uh, to the ones that Sam and Jonathan have posed in their article uh, about what movements uh, can and should be doing in order to build mass political organizations and durable political power. And so tonight's conversation is really going to be about the political and organizational challenges that Sunrise uh, faces moving forward. Jonathan and Sam, would you uh, just tell us a little bit more about how you decided to write about Sunrise and what the process of writing the article was like? Uh, for sure. Thanks so much to see it. Yeah, so Johnny and I met in the divestment movement way back when, um, I think like a lot of folks here. Uh, and I've been involved in Sunrise at the hub level for the last two years. And Johnny's been doing some adjacent movement organizing in kind of the climate labor space. And uh, the article started because we both were reading the Winning the Green New Deal book that came out in 2020. And uh, we were talking to each other about it. And we certainly think Sunrise has put a lot into the American climate movement. It's had a massive impact. Um, but we also thought there was a lot in the book that, that might have fallen short, or at least that there were some extensions that could be made to this larger strategy of how the heck 
do we pass a Green New Deal? Whatever that means, state, local, federal. Um, that's a massive, uh, massive goal. And, and we didn't think that there was quite enough depth to the strategy in that book. And uh, frankly, after talking to each other, we started talking to other folks we know, other, other climate organizer folks. Uh, plenty in Sunrise, some, some not in Sunrise. But um, it amounted to about 15 to 20 or so conversations that we did. Um, and we started thinking about writing an, writing an article. So the conversations we had were, were mostly with folks involved at the hub level, um, maybe one or two folks who had been involved in Sunrise National. Um, and we heard a lot of critiques that fell in kind of similar categories. And then we sat back and we kind of distilled them all and thought this is worth putting into an article to kind of advance the larger conversation about um, not just how, how could Sunrise reform itself to, to, to do bigger and bigger and, and stronger things, but also how the larger Green New Deal political project could work in adjacent movements and organizations. And a couple months, uh, we wrote the article and edited it and pitched it to Jacobin. And, um, and here we are. Cool. Thanks so much. Yeah, I really see the the depth of um, yeah some of the investigation you all have done, um, and, uh, and especially in talking to other organizers. I'm curious, Aru and JP, uh, what was it like for you both reading the article for the first time? How, where did it resonate with you? Um, how did it reflect some of the conversations that you've been having as part of front-loading? We'd love to hear some of your reaction. Yeah, I... It was honestly really nice to read the article because it felt like, you know, we've there like love us on the front loading team and we've been really deep in these conversations for like several months now. And I felt a little bit like, oh, it's really great to see that other people are actually circling around the same questions and a lot of the same answers that we're circling around. Cool. I'd love to start by talking about some of the uh, the strategy uh, that and I think Sam and Jonathan, uh, you really talk about in your article the ways that Sunrise has made a huge contribution to bringing the Green New Deal into American uh, politics and changing the way that we talk about climate. Um, and you kind of identify some of the hard limits uh, that the strategy has come up against, uh, the strategy and tactics that Sunrise has used. Would you uh, be willing to just talk about what you think some of those hard limits have been about the strategy and tactics? Yeah, absolutely. So when we talk about hard limits, it's important to focus on uh, like you said, the transition to Sunrise is in, right? So for the first um, three years of Sunrise's existence, Democrats weren't really in power, right? Um, we had uh, control of um, the House, but obviously not the Senate and the presidency. And so, um, you know, after the election and after the inauguration, you know, the kind of tasks, you know, the kind of work to be done really has, has shifted, right? Um, from sort of raising consciousness, getting the Green New Deal out there, as an idea, right, shifting public opinion, doing really good electoral work for folks like Ed Markey, to actually being able to, you know, uh, twist some arms, so to speak, and really uh, uh, apply pressure, right, to, to Dems. And so when we think about the Sunrise, the two main tactics that Sunrise has used so far, right, which I would say are would be moral protest and electoral mobilization, right, getting just a lot of folks out there um, either showing up at actions, right, to bird dog somebody, or stand outside their house. And on the other hand, like make tons of phone calls and knock on doors. Um, let's start with the first, right? So with protest, I think we can see it as having two purposes, right? One is to signal to an elected official, like, hey, if we have a lot of people, you know, if you don't do what we want you to do, we're going to be able to impose some cost on you, right? And that cost is gonna be big enough that you're gonna to wanna to do what we can do. Basically, I think Sunrise has gotten to a point where um, 
some of these figures, congressional Democrats realize that Sunrise doesn't yet have the ability to impose costs on them such that they are going to actually vote for the kind of really substantive change that we need. The signaling effect of protest has, has clearly reached limits, right? We need a stronger base of people who are able to act on the ground, whether it's in terms of its, its voting um, or, or striking. The other point of protest, right, is to uh, get the word out about the movement, right, is to, you know, through the, through the media, especially Sunrise has been incredibly good at this, right? Your media team is amazing. Um, in the beginning, with sitting with AOC, it was very exhilarating, right? Lots of people came into the movement very quickly. Um, but over time, and especially as Sunrise has become much more familiar, right, um, there are a lot of protests. They don't always work. You know, um, there's a limit to the to the degree to which this uh, pattern of recruitment, especially through social media and through the social networks of people, the type of people who originally saw Sunrise's message and were really compelled by it, didn't really need a lot of persuasion. That base of people we're arguing in this piece is, is becoming exhausted. Really, in order to reach all the parts of the American populace, it's going to take a lot more work on the ground, a lot more what organizers often call base building. Um, electoral organ, uh, organizing, mobilization, while it's really good at getting people who you know, might have not thought of voting, right? Like, you know, just mobilizing people who would otherwise supportive, right? Turning passive support into active support uh, for an election. It's really good at that. It's not really good at sort of, uh, you know, working uh, over time, you know, building trust in the community, establishing a presence, that sort of thing. And so I guess in terms of protests and electoral coordination, that those are the sort of limits of the tactics that Sunrise has pursued that we see so far. Yeah, thanks so much. I think uh, a lot of people have, yeah, definitely been seeing and noticing uh, the the kind of power that uh, Sunrise has really been able to build so far in terms of uh, really rapidly expanding a base and getting a ton of media uh, attention to propel the Green New Deal to the forefront of public consciousness. Uh, but these are very real limits. And I'm curious, as Sunrise turns towards the next phase of its strategy and its uh, political mission uh, to actually win and institutionalize the Green New Deal, what are the actual new strategies and tactics that will be needed? Um, yeah, firstly, I think that was really well said, um, Jonathan. I think, yeah, you describe it right. The, and I think it's important to talk about where the like placement of sunrises in the broader um, American climate movement that's embedded today that we came out of. The inception of the mainstream climate movement in America, um, unfortunately not meaning the legacies of indigenous resistance and black-led fights for environmental justice, was embedded in a majority white, upper-class constituency uh, comprised of like, yeah, full-time advocates whose strategy was talking about polar bears and parts per million and all of that. And in an insular way, like, activating the limited bubble of people who already cared for the issue as it was being framed at the time. And a lot of what has changed in in Sunrise's iteration is like this new development of moral protest, right? And, it's to, and early on in the days of Sunrise, I think moral protest, as you described it, did play a significant role in Sunrise's launch and led to a lot of narrative wins and reframe the demands and the vision of the climate movement. And not solely due to this strategy, nor alone in the mission, we were able to elevate the climate crisis uh, to an urgent priority in American politics, tie it to a broader vision of economic and racial uh, justice, as you outline in the article, 
And today we are entering a new chapter. We can't stagnate and leave it at those limits. So there's a lot more political allies in Congress today and a lot more hubs across communities in the country. And we do have to deeply interrogate the questions of what it means to cultivate a strategy that can actually win shit, uh, which may I add is the technical definition. That's, that's, that's the language for how to talk about it. And I think winning shit means leveraging enough trust and engagement from everyday folks in our communities to participate in actions, campaigns, whether they be electoral or like local uh, legislative campaigns, power analyses, and so on, that can actually create enough targeted pressure to pass Green New Deal style policy, which draws down emissions and improves folks' lives at the local, statewide and federal level, not just shifts frames and how the public talks about the climate crisis. So I think there's like several ways that the front loading team has thought of how we're going to approach this going forward. And I think that has to do with some adaptations or like, you know, differences in how we've thought of our theory of change, which I actually want to pass to you, Aru, to maybe like talk about a bit more. I think the first thing is like we want to win more instrumental wins than I think you hit the nail on the head, Johnny. Like we spent a lot of time focusing on changing public opinion and that was really powerful and laid the groundwork for the moment that we are in right now. And we literally have in our new draft theory of change, like win shit as a key key pillar, feedback welcome at some point. Um, and yeah, I think I think I'm like that is that is one of the things we're the most excited for. And I think what that looks like to me is like layering in what local and potentially state Green New Deals look like along the road to a federal Green New Deal, which I think is like something that we haven't really taken very seriously before um, in terms of Sunrise's national strategy. Um, So that's like one piece. And I think another framework that we found very helpful is like uh, Jane, Jane McAleavy used this framework of like mobilizing versus organizing. Um, and I think basically in a, in a nutshell, she's like mobilizing is about, uh, yeah, moving the people who already agree with you and organizing is about like moving the people who like don't yet agree with you. And it, it was just like an, a total aha moment of like, oh, we set out to organize the country and we have fallen into a lot of patterns of mobilizing the country. And one of them, them like, orientations that we want to hold really deeply in Sunrise 2.0 is like organize first, mobilize second. And that is very tied with like figuring out how to layer in the instrumental wins while of course, like not throwing out the baby with the bathwater because there are some really powerful things that we did in, in terms of having like a, a media based strategy and changing public opinion that we don't want to lose as we, as we do more of this stuff. Okay. Then the last thing I want to touch on, uh, which I felt like was a, uh, also a big thrust of your article, was um, that Sunrise has been hampered by not having a clear ideology. Uh, and I appreciate the way that you phrase uh, and kind of uh, use ideology, meaning not just an, uh, an end goal for society or the vision of what society will look like, but also a theory of change that allows for decision making and prioritization. And I think that distinction is really helpful. Uh, since ideology can be thrown around and mean so many things. And I really picked up that that was a particular aspect of what you were talking about. Um, So can you uh, just share a little bit more about why uh, having a clearly defined ideology is so important to the success of the movement? Yeah, absolutely. So in the long term, right, you need need to have an understanding of how power works if you're going to figure out who who you're going to try to build power with, how you're going to try to, you know, who really has the ability to enact the changes that you want, how do you pressure them, right? 
or build power within your own community. And I think in, in this, especially in, on this note, um, I think there are a lot of really smart people uh, in Sunrise who are really well trained uh, to think about these questions. But I often, you know, one of the things that came out of our interviews is that too often those people are uh, at, at the national level, right? And so we think we need people to being trained to become good strategists everywhere, right? Um, and to really sort of be able to apply a power analysis on the local level. Um, that will help a lot with, uh, you know, decision-making around what campaigns to pursue on the local level, but I think it will also uh, promote a lot more, like, coherence in the movement in terms of you know, do we understand the world to work in the same way? If so, that's great because it means it's much easier for us to cooperate and act together. Uh, yeah, I think that's really helpful. One other thing just really stuck out to me in your article is uh, you talked about um, calling on Sunrise's ideology as strategy to be less moralist and more materialist, that is cognizant of how people's position in the economy and society affects their worldview and uh, ability to exert power. And I'm curious if you would say a little bit more about what you meant by that ideologically as well. You know, one of the things that we think that's come out of all this media attention that Sunrise has gotten and still not having the base that we want is that, you know, the, the right people that we want to reach hearing our message through mass media is not enough, even if it's really using morally charged language, right? It takes much more than that, um, a sort of moral protest to build a sense of common meaning, right? And get to get all these different people, you know, positioned very differently along the lines of race, class, and gender. That piece right? Being materialist means thinking through on a local level, what are the local conditions? What's the local economy like? What are the sort of different demographics and power structures that this shape the way people think? Yeah, I think um, thinking through uh, ideology and how it relates to strategy, how it relates to the base that you're organizing, how it relates to how you're understanding your base's self-interest uh, is a really critical part of uh, how to build more power uh, moving forward. And so I'm curious for the front-loading team, have you all been wrestling with ideology? How important do you think it is and how might it shape um, the strategy of Sunrise moving forward? You know, Aru actually shared this useful framework with us in a uh, you know, retreat that we had, which is basically goes to say that once upon a time, ideology once wasn't always used for moral posturing or damaging one another based on how ideologically pure we were. They actually served, ideology served a competent and helpful role in social movements. And the Red Scare ruined it all, right? Any form of uh, left of center politics found in any social movement, um, you know, was characterized as the boogeyman and um, ideology receded to the world of academics and nothing more. And so what does it mean to actually break outside of that mold today and why would we want to? I think in its inception, Sunrise was trying to be this um, outside of partisan politics force that would break through all the noise of a two-party system and bring forth this populist era where everyone in this country would be happy through a Green New Deal. Surprise, that didn't happen. And I think it was born in reaction to a lot of the powerlessness that, um, you know, a lot of organizers dealt with in the days of Occupy, a lot of the founders, how their experiences of ideology were formed um, in, you know, when Occupy was happening. But what role can ideology actually play now? A very helpful one, as I think we've aligned on this team. Um, it seems that in 
you know, the conditions that prevail today, um, there are actually strong forms of ideology prevailing in American society today where we have dangerous factions of um, proto-fascism and really dangerous ideas that are taking account in society. But there's also an honest um, energy for a left flank that's growing not only in our movements, but well beyond among workers and the rest of the people that we hope to organize into the vision of the Green New Deal. I think the role of committing to an ideology of democratic social socialism uh, grounded in, in strong principles for an economy that uh, works for the planet and all of us and is explicit about race um, can help us chart the path towards the vision of society that we want to get to, but not ultimately one that says the Green New Deal is the exhaustive answer to it. I don't think ideology is an exhaustive um, you know, remedy to decision-making in local contexts. I think that it does play a useful role in, you know, articulating to people the problems that we all collectively face, and it helps uh, put forward a vision of organizing that helps us uh, root ourselves in common struggle and common demands. We have an idea of what it would actually mean to, like, yes, have ideological adherence, but also pursue campaigns at the local, state, and federal levels that can connect to specific issue areas that hubs in their local context are facing. I think the other thing I hear you standing up for in ideological development is also, uh, you know, uh, supporting local leaders to have clear analysis of power, how power operates, who has it, why do they have it. Uh, and I think, um, yeah, the combination of kind of like deeper organizing craft and development of leadership with ideological development and an ideological compass uh, could really support, I think, the uh, the growth and um, coherence and principledness of Sunrise's organizing moving forward. Um, we're about to wrap up. One last question I have, just given some of the ways that you've been thinking about um how to address some of these uh, challenges in Sunrise and what the next phase of power building will look like. What, uh, what's one thing you're really excited about? What's, uh, what's a vision of Sunrise that, you, that you're really holding for the future uh, that's energizing you right now? Uh, and uh, maybe I'll pass it to Aru and JP to, to close with a reflection on that. There isn't a day that I wake up and do Sunrise work in the amounts that we do and in the like amounts that we think um, without being energized and be brought, being brought to the work with a sense of purpose, a sense of purpose to, um, you know, make right for the people and places I love back home in Miami. And I think one of the deeply rooted principles that we have on this front-loading team and the strategy, structure, culture, and story that we have going forward is an emphasis on localization and how local strategy and how... Um, local fervor for the vision of a Green New Deal actually is able to help our movement and is able to make big wins. Um, that is one thing that I'm absolutely set on really thinking about chewing on, testing and practicing over this next iteration of Sunrise, which is something that I think brings this movement closer to winning. Yeah, I resonate with that, JP. I'll say two things and I'll try and say them quickly. One is just, I feel like we are thinking really fiercely about what it means to actually win and holding ourselves against the timeline of the climate crisis and like just I feel like I hold really deeply like every step we take is thousands of, of lives and being like let us fight relentlessly to win shit to, to save lives Thanks so much to Cecia for hosting this conversation and to Sam, Jonathan, Aru and JP for participating you can hear the full-length, unedited version of the conversation you heard today by subscribing to our Patreon. That's patreon.com slash generationgnd. 
You can read Sam and Jonathan's article in Jacobin Magazine. We'll post a link in the show notes. Generation Green New Deal was created by Nate Birnbaum and myself, and this episode was edited and mixed by Noah Foley-Bining. Special thanks as well to Will Lawrence. And if you like Generation Green New Deal, please remember to leave us a rating and review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. It really does help new listeners find us. Thanks for listening.